0: Welcome, everyone, to another session of Psalms. We're in Psalm 81, 16 verses, for the choir director on the Gittith, a Psalm of Asaph. This song is in memory of God's deliverance. It seems to be festive in nature, and is traditionally linked with the Feast of Tabernacles. We can read about that in Leviticus 23:33 to 36 and 39 to 43, as well as in Deuteronomy 16:13 to 15. Asaph calls the people to the festival in memory of God's great deliverance from the bondage of Egypt.
1: Verses 1 and 2. Sing for joy to God our strength. Shout joyfully to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Strike the timbrel, the sweet-sounding lyre with the harp. The psalmist calls everyone to sing and play instruments. He wants them to join in the celebration. They were joyfully celebrating the true God of strength, the God of Israel.
0: Verses three through five. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day, for it is a statute of Israel, an ordinance of the God of Jacob. He established it for a testimony in Joseph when he went through the land of Egypt. I heard a language that I did not know. The trumpets were to be sounded on the festival day. The feast of tabernacles was on the 15th day of the seventh month. We see this in Leviticus twenty-three thirty-three which would be a day of the full moon. The seventh month fell around September or October. God had called for the trumpet to be blown in memory of when Israel went through Egypt. They were in a land whose language they did not know.
1: Verses six and seven. I relieved his shoulder of the burden. His hands were freed from the basket. You called in trouble and I rescued you. I answered you in the hiding place of thunder. I proved to you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. God had removed the burden of slavery from the people of Israel. They had called for him and he had answered. He tested them at the waters of Meribah and they failed, Exodus seventeen seven, and also Numbers twenty thirteen. The Feast of Tabernacles was to remind Israel of their wandering days in the desert.
0: Verses 8 through 10. Hear, O people, and I will admonish you O Israel, if you would listen to me, let there be no strange God among you, nor shall you worship any foreign God. I, the Lord, am your God, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide, and I will fill it. God calls on his people not to chase after false gods. They were hollowed out distractions, not capable of satisfying. It was only the God of Israel that had brought Israel out of Egypt and only He could satisfy them. God even calls them to open their mouths and He would fill them. In other words, He would bountifully supply their needs, if they were to depend on Him.
1: Verses 11 and 12. But my people did not listen to my voice, and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their heart, to walk in their own devices. Israel did not listen to the word of God, but instead they followed their own ways, their own pleasures. So, God allowed them to walk in their stubbornness. He let them run to their destruction.
0: Verses 13-16 through 16. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would quickly subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their adversaries. Those who hate the Lord would pretend obedience to him, and their time of punishment would be forever. But I would feed you, With the finest of the wheat and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. God's promise is great here. If Israel would walk in his statutes, obey his commands, and follow him as their God, then he would bless them. He would be against their enemies and drive them off. He even mentions here that they would pretend to obey. He would feed them with the blessings, the best of the blessings, the best of wheat and the best of honey. Now, this is very important. Verse 15 is very interesting because God acknowledges that there are some that will pretend to obey Him. These do not do all the outward motions, but their hearts are not for God. He terms this type of obedience as hatreds towards God. God says their punishment would be forever, which seems to indicate hell. There are those who pretend to obey God solely for the sake of convenience because of peer pressure or any other excuse imaginable. This false obedience does not honor God. God knows the intent of our hearts. They are not hidden from Him. Why do you obey God? Do you obey out of love, out of honor, respect for Him? Or do you obey God in a pretending manner to avoid punishment or for any other reason? This is where we're called to check our hearts.
1: Psalm 82 we have eight verses here. This is a psalm of Asaph. This psalm is one that declares God as supreme judge. He would one day judge human judges. The psalmist calls on God to act in justice. Those who ignore God's precepts in their judgment would perish. This psalm is also by Asaph.
0: Verse 1. God takes his stand in his own congregation. He judges in the midst of the rulers. The psalmist pictures God taking the stand as the great judge, who alone is holy, righteous, and completely just. He is presiding against the rulers of all the people.
1: Verses 2 through 5 How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked, Selah? Vindicate the weak and fatherless, do justice to the afflicted and destitute, rescue the weak and needy, deliver them out of the hand of the wicked. They do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. God is not pleased with injustice in judging. These judges were showing preference to the wicked. This could have been because of bribes or because of a twisted morality. Verse 5 mentions that they did not understand the correct way to judge. They were simply walking through the murkiness of their own morality. Because of this, the foundations of the earth, law and morality, are shaken. Law and order are undermined when there is a lawless, immoral judge on the stand. The correct way to judge is shown in verses 3 and 4. They were to use the law to judge fairly for the fatherless and the weak. They were to be just to the afflicted, the destitute, the weak, and the needy. They were to deliver from the hand of the wicked. Justice was to be fair and impartial
0: verses six and seven. I said, you are gods, and all of you are sons of the Most High. Nevertheless, you will die like men and fall like one of the princes. Judges had been elected as gods or as God's representative of justice among the people. They were sons of the Most High. This position did not place them above judgment from God. Despite their earthly designation, They would die, just like any other man. They would receive judgment and punishment like everyone else. They would be held accountable for their decisions before God.
1: Verse 8, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for it is you who possesses all the nations. The psalmist ends the psalm asking God to come and judge the earth, to make things right through his just, perfect, and all-knowing justice. He is the only perfect judge and the only judge who gave a payment for those that are called guilty. He is the only judge who is not swayed by anyone or anything because everything is His. He is the only judge who is perfect in righteousness. Are you ready for your time with the judge? Remember, if you come in the blood of Jesus, you will be declared not guilty. Yet if you are trying to come in anything else, you will receive judgment, because nothing else can save.
0: Psalm 83, 18 verses, a song, a psalm of Asaph. Asaph prays to God for power to destroy the enemies that are surrounding Judah. These enemies desire to crush and destroy her. This is an imprecatory psalm, one that calls for judgment, and the last of Asaph's psalms.
1: Verses 1 through 8. O oh God, do not remain quiet. Do not be silent. And, O oh God, do not be still. For behold, your enemies make an uproar, and those who hate you have exalted themselves. They make shrewd plans against your people, and conspire together against your treasured ones. They have said, Come and let us wipe them out as a nation, that the name of Israel be remembered no more. For they have conspired together with one mind. Against you they make a covenant. The tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebel and Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined them. They have become a help to the children of Lot, Selah. The psalmist calls on God to speak. God had seemingly been silent for some time. Asaph asks that he breaks the silence and act. He mentions that there were enemies of Israel surrounding them. These enemies hated God and his chosen people, his treasure. They wanted to destroy Israel completely, so they plotted and conspired. The author names the enemies Edom, descendants of Esau, you read about them in Genesis 36, Ishmaelites, the descendants of Ishmael, in Genesis 25, Hagrites, they possibly lived east of Gilead, Gebel, also, Biblos, north of Tyre or Edom, Amalek, Philistines, Tyre, Assyria, as well as Moab and Ammon, who were the children of Lot, and from Genesis nineteen thirty-six through thirty-eight,
0: verses nine through twelve, deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, and Jabin, at the torrent of Kishon, who were destroyed at Endor who became as dung for the ground, make their nobles like Oreb and Zeb, and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, Let us possess for ourselves the pastures of God. He alludes to victories by the judges, against Midian by Gideon, uh, we see this in Judges 7 and 8, against Sisera and Jabin by Deborah and Barak, we see this in Judges 4 through 5, Sisera and Jabin were defeated at Endor, near Ta'anak, in Judges 5.19. Oreb and Zeb were leaders of Midian, referring back to Gideon, Judges 7.25, as well as Zeba and Zalmunna, who were Midianite kings, Judges eight 5 through 6 verses 12 and 18. These leaders wanted the land of Israel, but God prevented them.
1: Verses 13-16. through 16. O my God, make them like the whirling dust, like chaff before the wind, like fire that burns the forest and like a flame that sets the mountains on fire. So pursue them with your tempest and terrify them with your storm. Fill their faces with dishonor, that they may seek your name, O Lord. The psalmist asks God to make these enemies like dust or like chaff, which is the empty shell of the wheat that is taken by the wind, or like a fire that burns the forest. All of these would fail against a storm. So the psalmist wanted God to be the storm to terrify them and cause them to fail in their schemes. The desire for dishonor or humiliation on the enemy is interesting as the ultimate desire for the psalmist is that these people come to know the true God.
0: Verses 17 and 18. Let them be ashamed and dismayed forever. And let them be humiliated and perish Mm. that they may know that you alone whose name is the lord are the most high over all the earth asaph closes with the alternative to believing in god shame humiliation and dismay without god they would perish forever but still know that there is only one true god at the end of it all everyone believer and unbeliever alike will know that God is the only true God. Those in heaven and in hell will fully understand this fact. All creatures will know the truth of their creator. There will be no more hiding or pretending. Do you believe that others around you are ready for this day? All will know him as God, but on that day they will know him as just judge or as Messiah and Savior. If others you know are not ready, tell them.
1: Psalm 84, verses 1 through 12 will be covered, that's what's in the psalm, <laughs> for the choir director on the Giddith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. This psalm seems to be very similar to Psalm 42 and 43. It is a yearning to have a formal place to worship the Lord. The psalmist celebrates the blessedness of the believer that journeys to the temple to pray to him.
0: Verses 1 and 2. How lovely are your dwelling places, O Lord of hosts! My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The psalm speaks to the Lord of how wonderful is the temple, the dwelling place of God. The psalmist desired to be in his courts, in God's courts, and to be in his presence. His mind and flesh, so his mind and body and his heart, sang for joy and excitement, to be in the presence of the one so loved. The psalmist longed to be in the presence of God. God is the ultimate subject of admiration. and From our studies, it seems like God will have a future temple to dwell in. But what about now? Now God dwells in the heart of every believer. and We see this with the Holy Spirit. He is present with us all day, every day. All we must do to communicate with Him is read His word or pray to Him.
1: Verses three and four. The bird also has found a house, and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my God and my King. How blessed are those who dwell in your house! They are ever praising you, Selah. Birds have houses, and the Lord with his altars has the same. Some birds had made their nests on temple grounds. The psalmist thinks how lucky they were to live so close to the Lord's house. Those that dwell or live in the house of God and in his presence are blessed. They were in his home and could raise their praise at any time.
0: Verses 5-7 through How blessed is a man whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the ways of Zion. Passing through the valley of Baca, they make a spring. The early rain also covers it with blessings. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them appears before God in Zion. The psalmist declares a state of blessings on the man who depends on God for strength. Those that were faithful to go to Jerusalem to be in the presence of God were blessed. The valley of Baca, which is a balsam tree, is apparently a place that was waterless, but then became a, str- a spring. This was probably on the way to Jerusalem. The rains covered the, put- the place with puddles of water. There is empowerment in the presence of God he provides the strength so that we can carry on
1: verses eight and nine o lord god of hosts hear my prayer give ear o god of jacob selah behold our shield o god and look upon the face of your anointed the psalmist calls on god to hear his prayer and his praises the psalmist also prays for the king your anointed who was considered a shield for the people He was to protect them, Israel, from outside enemies.
0: Verses 10-12 For a day in your courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, How blessed is the man who trusts in you! The psalmist gives a wonderful array of how much better it is to be in the presence of God than anywhere else. The famous phrase, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere, is a simple comparison of the psalmist's desire to be in the presence of God and his acknowledgement that this is the best place to be. He would rather stand at the entrance of the temple than in the covered tents of the wicked and the fancy tents of the wicked he ends the psalm in praise to god he is the son he gives the life he gives life to all he is a shield he protects those that are his own he gives his favor to those that follow his ways the man who trusts in god is blessed beyond all men it is plain to see a deep desire for knowing the great god of the universe now this is important do you feel this desire for God? Do you feel an excitement when you come to God in prayer, when reading His Word or serving others for His glory? If not, now may be a good time to search your heart. See if something has taken it captive. If not, then take some time. Um, look through some doctrine. Which doctrine of God um, can help you see God in a grander light? Uh, you can look through the doctrine of God proper, so to speak, a doctrine of man, doctrine of sin, to see the depth of our sin, uh, doctrine of Jesus, to see his amazing sacrifice, salvation, how great and amazing our salvation is. And there's plenty more that you can look through to, to whet your appetite and see how grand God is. All of these point us to an amazing God that has done amazing things for an undeserving people.
1: Psalm 85, verses 1 through 13. For the choir director, a psalm of the sons of Korah. The psalmist in this psalm shows gratitude for God's goodness to his people in restoring them and forgiving them. He then prays that God might remove his wrath from over them and restore them again.
0: Verses 1-3 through three. O Lord, you showed favor to your land. You restored the captivity of Jacob. You forgave the iniquity of your people. You covered all their sin. Selah. You withdrew all your fury. You turned away from your burning anger. The psalm begins by thanking God for his restoration of Israel to their land. This restoration was proof that God had indeed forgiven Israel, that he had turned his burning anger aside. He had exchanged his wrath for favor and forgiveness. Some people assume that the return from captivity is the return from Babylonian exile. This is hard to prove, as there is no indicator within the psalm of when it was written. Verses 4
1: through 7 Restore us, O God of our salvation, and cause your indignation toward us to cease. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger to all generations? Will you not yourself revive us again, that your people may rejoice in you? Show us your loving kindness, O Lord, and grant us your salvation. The psalmist had just praised God for his favor, but the psalmist wanted more. The psalmist asked for the same blessing of forgiveness, salvation, and a turning of wrath. He asks if God's anger would last forever against his people, if it would extend through the generations. He wanted God to restore and revive them again through his unfailing love, his loving kindness, so that the people could rejoice and praise the God of salvation.
0: Verses 8 and 9. I will hear what God the Lord will say. For he will speak peace to his people, to his godly ones. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. He was ready to hear God's word and ready to hear of peace for his people. He would give these promises to the godly and to those who feared him. The author warns the listener not to return to those foolish things that made God angry if they would remain godly, then the glory, God's presence, would dwell in the land. The glory did not did come down from heaven and dwell in the land of Egypt in the form of Jesus. It was Jesus who came down to save all of mankind. In his coming, he brought salvation and peace to those that accept him as Lord.
1: Verses 10 through 13. Loving kindness and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. Truth springs from the earth, and righteousness looks down from heaven. Indeed, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its produce. Righteousness will go before Him and make His footsteps into a way. The attributes of love work together to bring peace through God Himself. Love and truth go hand in hand with righteousness and peace. Through these, God blesses His people. Truth, righteousness, and love naturally bring about peace between people this is very important. We thoroughly enjoy that God joins love and truth together with righteousness. Many in this world believe the truth to be harsh and sometimes hateful, yet God is love, and He is truth in one being. He is also holy in righteousness. He is the perfect being. While we will never attain His level, we should always strive to use His truth to change our lives to be more loving and holy.